Our scripture passage today comes from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 4, and verses 32 through 35. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the word of God for the people of God. So, you know, um, in the Harry Potter books and movies, there's always some point in the story where someone utters the phrase, he who shall not be named. You see, they are all uh, afraid of Voldemort and what he represents, his evil and his hatred and his death dealing. And they think that if they merely utter the name of Voldemort, that bad things will come upon them. But not Harry Potter. Harry, who is the antithesis of everything that Voldemort represents, and literally his antithesis, has no problem boldly speaking the name of Voldemort. Harry Potter is not afraid to name him. And you know, in our church, in any church, there is an unspeakable word. There is a word that makes people run in fear. There's a word that keeps people from showing up. There's a word that people say, you can't say in church. The unspeakable word is money. (laughs) No lightning bolt. They think we're going to be okay. You see, people have this sense that, you know, money is our, uh, you know, kind of our own business, or money is sort of this private thing, or we give what we can, and there's no need to talk about money. But the truth of the church is that everything and every dimension of our life should come under the Lordship of Christ. There is nothing, in fact, that we need to fear about money if we are letting God rule our lives. You know, as uh, people of God, and especially Methodists, we believe that it is all about grace. That it is by virtue of God's grace toward us, God's unmerited love that we can never earn, that we are able to live a good life, that we're able to do as God wills we should do. And prevenient grace, that first kind of grace, is always going before us. That prevenient grace is always leading us toward what God would have us do. That prevenient grace is always one step ahead of our understanding. It's all about God's grace. And when we open ourselves to God's leading and God's grace, 
Everything seems to come together for our good. When we look at scripture, there is so many, there are so many stories, so many passages that are teaching us about money and possessions. And in this passage from Acts, it's telling us about the earliest Christian community and how they brought together everything they had and they gave one to the other as anyone had need and they were joyful and they were grateful and they were living their lives in Christ. Now, there are, of course, a couple things about it that are very, very different from our context today. I mean, after all, they didn't have really much more than the meeting of basic needs, right? Food, clothing, shelter, and if someone didn't have one of those, they made sure the person did. They also didn't live in this wildly consumeristic culture where there are 10,000 things bombarding us for purchase at every moment of our lives. They were in a very much uh, simpler kind of context. So these early Christians, they also believed that Jesus Christ was going to return really soon. If not today, then within a week, he's coming back, he's going to finish this thing. So, you know, frankly, if you and I really thought that after the fall festival tonight, uh, Jesus was going to return, we'd go home and give away all our stuff because, woohoo, we're going to heaven with Jesus. Now, while this is a, a fair representation of the earliest Christian community, it helps us to understand how far the gap is between the way that they were able to live and the demands that are placed upon a Christian life today within the society in which we live. And that's kind of where this study, enough, has come in to help us think about our relationship to money, our relationship to our possessions. And, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, each week it made me really stop and reflect upon what I spend and how I live and what God would really ask of me uh, in my life because, you know, Everything really belongs to God and everything is, is given by God's grace. And so today I want us just to do a brief recap of what I think were the four main points of this uh, stewardship study. And the first lesson it gave us was this, that we want more than we need we human beings find ourselves in this constant uh, desire to buy and buy and buy and, and earn more and more money and have all of this kind of a stuff. We get in this cycle. But of course, the problem is that we are more concerned about fulfilling our immediate needs than we are planning for the future much of the time. You know, Americans today have more debt than at any time in the past, and less savings than at any time in the past, because, you know, we want it now, and we'll worry about the future later. But, of course, Scripture tells us that this has always been part of the human condition, 
Go back to the book of Genesis. Look at Jacob and Esau, these brothers who are tangling with each other all the time. But there's that story where Esau has been out in the field tending to his flocks. And after a long, hard day, he comes in the house. He's starving. He's famished. And there's Jacob stirring a pot of stew or some chili on the stove. No, they didn't have a stove. And Esau is like, I am so hungry. Give me a bowl of that chili. And Jacob says, sure, you can have a bowl, but you have to trade me your birthright. You have to give me your inheritance. And Esau's like, yeah, whatever. You see, we do this all the time. We want our immediate needs filled. We, we don't want to think so much about the future as, can I have it today? I want it today, even if it is going to take away from the future. We want more than we actually need to live a good life. And then the second thing that our study raised up for us is that we need to simplify our lives. You know, we get into this whole process of accumulating goods and things until all of our closets and cupboards and garages are filled with stuff. If I told you today you have to go home and clean out all that stuff by the end of the day, we would all be like, there's no way. We fill our lives with this stuff. And part of this, of course, is that we are always being lured by that consumer culture that wants us to buy and buy and buy and have and have and have. You know, look at your kids. I'm sure most of you have heard something to this effect over time. But, but mom, every kid is wearing $500 jeans. And we say, but you are not every kid. And part of this is to say, you know what? We're Christians. We're not supposed to live according to those consumeristic kinds of standards. We're supposed to live in a different way. And our witness is that we're not going to buy all that stuff that everybody else uh, wants. We need to simplify our lives. But in fact, uh, our society today is always pulling at us. Think about the uh, TV and the internet and how it always lifts up for us all these things we never even imagined were a possibility that now we absolutely can't live without. Right? And you have to buy it right away. So, you know, it tells us there's the Ninja Razor with 18 stealthy blades. We'll give you the best shave you've ever had. Oh, I need it. Or, and this is a real one, there is the cat sack so that you can tote your tabby with, it, with you wherever you go. Why would you want to take your cat along? Or the super salad chopper and nail clipper all in one. Ew. But this is the way that we are approached over and over again, that we've got to have this stuff. But in fact, Jesus tells us to travel light. Jesus tells us not to overpack for the journey. Jesus tells us that when we store up treasures on earth, they rust and the moths get to them. We are called to simplify our lives and to open spaces for God to dwell in our presence. The third lesson is this. 
that we are supposed to be cultivating contentment and contentment with our stuff. Blessedness is a gift of God and Jesus Christ. And we think in many ways that if we have more stuff, we'll be content. Now remember that scripture teaches us, Paul says, you know, I know how to be content in any situation. I know what it is to have plenty and to be in need, but I can do all things through strength in Christ. And Jesus says to us, hey, look at the the birds and the flowers of the field. They don't worry about all this stuff. They just live as I created them to live. We're supposed to be content with what we have, and we get things and then we find that they don't satisfy what longs us, what our hearts are longing for. Uh, My dad was a veteran of World War II and served in the Pacific Theater at uh, Pearl Harbor, Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, and other battles. And I knew him, uh, he's been gone for about 10 years, but I knew him to be a very unhappy and dissatisfied person almost all his life. And I know part of that was PTSD, but dad, my whole childhood, always wanted to buy things, even if we couldn't really afford them. He wanted to buy things as if somehow they would make him happy. And of course, they never did. And the house would fill up with these things that he had bought and then set aside, trying to find some sense of contentment. In his later years, Dad, who was not a Christian, uh, would talk to me some and took up reading the Bible. And he found a sense of peace and contentment that he hadn't had the rest of his life, even though he could never reconcile what he had done in the war. Um, It always held grip on him. And yet, he found some sense of contentment, not in things but in God. We are to cultivate contentment in our lives and with our possessions. In the last lesson that we've studied over this month is that it's really our generosity that defines us. We as Christians are known by our love and the love of God in Jesus Christ is poured out to the world. It is God's generosity toward all of us that gives us the hope of life and the fullness of life. And we ourselves are called by God as Christians to ourselves pour out toward others, to be generous toward others. Everything that we have Everything that we are, our bodies, our very breath is a gift from God. And, you know, we are are blessed to uh, have it on loan for some 80 or, or so years. But everything we have belongs to God and our generosity is really what makes us happy and content. You know, the true... Uh, teaching of uh, scripture is always about uh, generosity uh, will make us blessed and happy. And you know what? Scientific studies today have proven what the Bible has always taught us, that generous people are more happy people. This week, 
uh, as we were wrapping up the uh, stewardship campaign, and I have to be careful because someone heard me say this morning that, that I was praying that, please, Lord, just make it over. And no, I, as we were wrapping up the stewardship campaign, I was praying for a successful outcome, that, that we as a people of God would really feel committed to what we've been studied and, and moved by God and, and really feel like we should make Christ Lord over the whole of our lives lives in so many ways. And as I was praying this, I was also thinking about, you know, the, the real world finances of uh, this church. And I give thanks to God for Greg Self, who heads up our finance committee, and for the others who, who manage our finances and, and, and pay attention to that and worry about that and, and, you know, so that the rest of us can do God's work. And I was just praying, God, please, you know, let this Sunday of commitment be one that really uh, is fruitful and really shows that we as a church are on the right track. Show us, God. And Tuesday, while I was in the office, Megan came around the corner and she said, hey, I've got a letter, but I think it's a fake. I said, what do you mean? And I got up and I went and I looked at the letter and I knew immediately that it was no fake. We had received in the mail a modest gift from the estate of D. Ferguson. And I saw this as a sign of God, a message from God that says your faithfulness will overflow into blessings not only for the church but for the community. And I saw it as Dee herself reaching down from heaven to the village that she loves and basically saying to us, yes, this is real. Live your life in this way. This is what God asks. By all accounts, Dee was something of one of the saints of this church. She blessed us with her prayers and her presence for as long as she was able. She blessed us with her gifts. She blessed us with her service and her witness to Christ. She blessed us in a way that said, you know what, I'm doing my best to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ and to put all of my life under his authority. And this week, stewardship week of all Sundays, it is as if Dee came and said, and here is my pledge. I'm with you, village, and your work matters and it needs to continue. I give thanks to God for the life of Dee Ferguson and for the life of the saints in this congregation who continue to be so faithful to God and allow us to do the work of Christ in a world that really needs the church, even as it's saying that money is all we need. So, you know, we live in a, a time when... People have a ten is it all right to have money on the altar? I don't know. Is that sacrilegious? We live in a time when people don't carry much money anymore. You know, we use credit cards, debit cards, we do online banking. And so, so many times people, Jay mostly, he said, I have it today. But he almost never has cash with him. 
So I, I want to invite you right now to go ahead and reach in your purse or reach in your pocket and pull out a coin or pull out a dollar or a 20 or a, a hundred dollar bill. I'll probably ask you to put it in the plate when we're done, but go ahead and I'm serious. Go ahead. Pull out some money. Do you not have, does nobody, there's Linda's got one. All right. Philip's back there. John's got one. Okay. Everybody pulling out. Then come on, Dale. You, I know you got some cash. And I want you to, all right, Jim's got some. I want you to take, you guys got no money? You're musicians. (laughs) I want you all to take a very close look. Take a close look at your coin. Take a close look at your dollar. What does it say? In God we trust. Even our old money points us over and over again back to God. Every time. It should, it, you know, it should uh, be on our conscience that every time we go to spend money, we should say, I trust in you, O oh God. Is this really where you would have me spend my money? Because people of God... Our trust, our faith, our hope, our future is always rooted and grounded in God. And it's our job as disciples of Jesus Christ to allow God to take control of every part of our existence. Everything comes together when we allow Jesus to be the head and the center of our lives, including with our money. And so, people of God, I really believe that with our money we are called to be faithful, but ultimately, when we trust in God, we truly find that simplicity, that generosity, that contentment that tells us that in God it is enough. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask you, O God, in this moment that you would pour your Spirit upon this place, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to know what you would have us do, to recommit our lives in this day to prayers, to presence, to service, to witness, and yes, O God, to faithfully giving so that your work might be done on this earth. We thank you, God, for all that you have given us, including the very breath of life within us. And we offer this prayer. Why are you striving these days?
Oh, 